And then by the end of the third week, uh, I had this experience where I was riding past a cemetery. And it was, if you can imagine, Memorial Day. I didn't even realize it was Memorial Day. Covered with flowers. Of course, a country cemetery. And I started to cry. And I am crying for this stillborn baby that I really had never cried that much for. And it was, it was just like this incredible protective force just diffused me with a sense of care and protection. And again, I'm, I'm motioning with my hands like this. I don't really mean that. It was like every blade of grass, leaf, gravel, everything in the, in the fields, it was all the same stuff and it was inside me. So good to have you here. This is Brett, your host and trail guide here at Mountain Zenden, the place for connecting with nature for mindfulness and personal transformation, naturally. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be in a setting where it was just you and nature for an extended period of time? Imagine yourself as a woman alone on a horse, 500 miles from home. At age 54, Lisa Stewart did just that. She set out to regain the fearless girl she had once been, riding her horse, Chief, 500 miles home. Hot, homeless, and horseback, she snapped back into every original cell. On an extraordinary homegoing from Kansas City to Bates and Vernon Counties in Missouri, Lisa exhausted herself, faced her past, trusted strangers, and stayed in the middle of her frightened horse to document modern rural America, the people, animals, and land. The result was a compelling and uplifting memoir, The Big Quiet, One Woman's Horseback Ride Home. Today we visit with Lisa, author, adventurer, horsewoman, as she shares some of the details of her journey and experiences of connecting with the Creator through nature. I'm telling you, you are in for a special adventure today. So come on in. Lisa, thank you for being here and joining us on Mountains End. And so good to have you here. And uh, I'm excited about our conversation coming up today. Well, Brett, I'm really happy to be with you. I really love everything you do and what you and your whole mission stands for. So thank you for inviting me. Oh, thank you. I, I fully believe that, you know, for those who are looking, the universe connects the people who are supposed to be connected. And, and I just trust any time that somebody comes across my path that it's meant to be. And so I feel the same again. way. I, I just can't tell you how many times an opportunity or something has arisen. And it may seem like a really strange thing to say yes to or yeah. whatever, yeah. And, you know, go out of your way to drive to have coffee with somebody you don't know. And it's always turns out, at least in my experience, to have somewhere down the road had meaning or opportunity or whatever. So saying yes is a really big deal to me. Wonderful. That means the world to me too. Kindred spirits here. In fact, we found you on, my wife and I, Melissa and I, found you on the Carly Cade podcast, uh, right. Equestrian Author Spotlight. And that was kind of that same kind of 
connection because we've started working with other authors from there on the other side of the platform, the uh, Skydance Mountain audiobooks that I do too. I don't think I've ever mentioned that on Mountain Zenden. But anyway, that was that same connection. And Carly is a really good connector. Oh, she's, she's awesome. She has a blast doing that. And I actually did hear your podcast with her and I was hanging on every word about, because I knew I needed to do the audio book. So I think you need to go ahead and plug that business right now while you've got Bless you. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate that. Uh, your, the title of your book is what caught me too. Uh, the big quiet, it captured me immediately. And, and I thought, I've got to find out more about this author and her story. Um, so can you just tell us a little bit about your journey, how you, how you did this, this trek? Uh, with a yes. horse that most people would just die to do or be afraid of dying doing. <laughs> Share that <laughs> exactly. with us. And, uh, the, so, and how you became an author and speaker and all of that. Well, thank you for asking that. Yes, I wanted to do a long distance horseback trip either by myself or with a girlfriend ever since I was about 10 or 11 or 12 years old. That was always a dream in the back of my mind. And I did do a long horseback trip when I was only 22. Uh, I didn't have the courage to do such a thing by myself. And so, of course, I found a man who would do it with me. So he was the hunter and the outdoorsman, and I was the horse person. He knew really nothing about horses. And we ended up buying uh, five horses, uh, three Missouri Fox Trotters, one registered American Saddlebrad, and one quarter horse, which was the glue that held the pack train together. And so we packed three and rode two, and we rode 3,000 miles starting um, in northern New Mexico up to Pagosa Springs, over to Durango, up to the um, Grand Junction, through Utah, past the Flaming Gorge, almost all the way to Jackson, Wyoming, up in the Wind River Range, and then all the way home. And we rode um, through Colorado Springs, through Laramie. And then all the way across Kansas to our home in Nevada, Missouri. And that took about seven and a half months. Wow. That, and, is, no, that is no simple uh, journey because you're going through some rough territory there. I mean, you know, we're not necessarily in the day of the pioneers, but still, that is impressive. Yeah, go on. I'm sorry. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. It was, um, you know, really the, uh, in a way it was, it was not more dangerous than doing it in the pioneer days. But if you think about it, all of the roads all of the passes through the mountains are are now busy highways. Yes, yeah. So to get ways, that's more dangerous. <laughs> yeah, right. To get from point A to point B, uh, there's traffic. And then we did go through some cities. We were kind of forced to go through some cities. But we didn't really have any trouble at all. We did have one horse fall down a canyon, uh, end over end, missed about a mile of switchback trails, and lived to tell about it in uh, Carson's Hole. If anybody's familiar with um, the um, Mesa um, near Grand Junction, mm-hmm. it's, oh, Uncompahgre Plateau, Uncompahgre yes. Plateau. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, we had some major challenges that way, but we had. Um, nothing but support the whole way. And so I did that trip, but you know, in a way it wasn't really my trip. Mm, And he was a bigger than life man, Len Brown, and he invented, created uh, Orthoflex saddles uh, with, with my assistance, um, which he probably wouldn't have done the trip if it had not been for me and so forth and and sold the saddles because I wrote many, many articles about the effect of the rider and saddle on the biomechanics of the horse. So saddle fitting was a huge part of our lives for 20 years, uh, fitting 
really 25,000 horses over the course of that time. So I have, I have a few opinions about that. I bet you do. Well, you have experience and this came, these, this ortho, orthoflex came about as a result of this ride. Is that correct? Or in the middle of the journey? Yes, it did. We started out with five flatland horses who'd never been, you know, out of Kansas and Missouri. And we plopped them in the uh, San Juan National Forest in northern New Mexico, and they wow. were doing great. I mean, we did, we were flatlanders, so we didn't realize we couldn't ride straight north in April. Duh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we had to rejigger our plans a little bit. But after 500 miles, their behavior was terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, we were punishing them. Uh, you know, we thought, well, maybe they're afraid of bear, or they're afraid of the different set, sights and smells. Um, and we didn't realize what was going on. And we were actually going to sell his riding horse and an, a Hispanic rancher, uh, came to look at Charlie to see if maybe he wanted to buy or swap because Charlie was just a, a nervous wreck. Mm-hmm. And the man rode him and he said, he's a nice horse. He says, he's just sore under saddle. No pathology, nothing. And so Lynn had made the saddle for that trip. He was a craftsman, gun maker, knife maker, uh, everything. And um, it was very minor thing, um, a ridge on either mm-hmm. side of the skirts in the gullet. Yeah. It was very minor, but it, it was enough to just light him up when he had been riding long enough. And when you ride enough days in a row, enough hours in a row, more, most horses will get some kind of sore from their saddles. I don't care how good Grandpa says that saddle is. Yes, yes. <laughs> Or your trainer or whatever who rides that horse 15 minutes a day or whatever. Um, So um, that's when Lynn uh, solved that problem. And then we learned from this gentleman how to palpate for soreness. So we had just a slight bit of edema that you and I would never notice on a horse's back. And we discovered that on four uh, four of the five horses. So he, over the next um, 100 miles... And we did stop for a bit. Um, We were in the Durango area, and these wonderful folks drove us away from their Paradise Ranch far enough to get to Leather. And he thought he had a solution. And I swear, overnight, those horses went from not walking in a line and fussing with each other and getting in fights to walking in a straight line with their heads down and their ears wagging and their eyes soft. They were all suffering. And, of course, we were punishing them. Yeah, well, I think of hikers with, who get the blisters on their feet. And, uh, I mean, we would be grumpy and, and not wanting to go any farther. Oh, my right. goodness. But they went right. 500 miles before before this happened. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and we weren't really traveling that hard because it was still April. We were still kind of getting our sea legs under us. There was a lot of snow. So we might go for, you know, I don't know, 25, 40 miles and then stop and camp for quite a mm. while. And maybe it would just snow us in, too. Sure. So we weren't traveling that hard, and it didn't take that long for this pathology to begin to really make itself known, right. which is why when we came home and patented our ideas and started, I started writing magazine articles about it, which blew us up as far as I blew up sales. Yes, but yeah. we started in endurance racing because these were the only people who would listen. Mm, they understood. Yeah. And any cowboy will tell you, there's a reason he only, he doesn't just ride one horse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if he's doing the big circle, he's not going to just depend on one horse for four days. Um, and also any packer, serious packer and guide in the mountains will say, um, what are you doing about saddle sores? Because it's just ubiquitous. Sure. And my 
from what I understand. So anyway, we came home and did that. And, and, um, and then he ended up having a really bad head injury and a motorcycle accident after about 10 years in business. And I was pregnant and I had a four-year-old and it, it really changed everything. Um, I want to say he's doing great now and, and all is well, and everybody has evolved from the whole process. I mean, there's certainly lingering, lingering woulda, coulda, shoulda, yes, you know, yes. guilt on my part, you know, and probably resentment on his part and so forth. But at the end of the day, um, seven years later, we were divorced. And then I just completely got out of horses in the saddle business because I knew there was no way I would compete with him. You, know. wow. you you completely actually got out of horses as well, endurance riding and all of that? Well, yeah. I mean, I wow. went from, we went from selling almost $25 million worth of product and somehow Lisa ended up with zero. Oh. I mean, it just all fell apart. Yeah. And, uh, and so did he really not completely zero, but you know, he had to start, we both started all sure. over. Life is yeah. tough sometimes like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you know, after the last old horse died, who was on the horseback trip, I didn't have any more horses and I was without a horse for 15 years. Oh my goodness. That's all right. So I, I just got to stop you here because my wife, sure. because Melissa is so into horses. It, we can't imagine, you know, going a day with, without them for in her life, especially I love them as well. So this, I can't fathom how, what a life change that had been. I mean, you just took this amazing ride and, um, had so much to tell. She's an endurance rider too, and recognized the orthoflex on your um, interview with Carly. And she said, I know those saddles. She sat up in her chair. So I, I'm just putting a little emphasis for people who might not be into horses that are listening to this and, and understand how they get, I mean, there's manure in our blood once we've had horses. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So tell me, all right, so keep going. How did, how did you handle that? You know, a lot of tears. I mean, mm. just a lot of tears. But, you know, it was just got so messy at the end of the business that uh, um, I just wanted to away from it. And then I was starting all over. So I got a job in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. So I was really lucky just to have a home to live in up yeah. here. Yeah. Certainly couldn't, oh, didn't own any land. And, you know, it's at least at least four grand a year to keep a horse up here, which is not expensive for a lot of places, but at least for, for here, that would be about your expense. If you have a pastured horse and, and you're paying for that, and then plus the shoeing and all of that stuff. That, that, so that just was not in the yeah. cards for me. Mm. So, you know, I got to the point where I had um, taken a job um, in a food processing company after, you know, well, right after, we lost the company and, and everything uh, after the company went under after our divorce. It was just not long after our divorce. Mm -hmm. I was like thinking, how am I going to get through winter with these little kitties? And I responded to an ad to sell prearranged funerals door to door. Oh, my God. That's a shift. <laughs> oh my so imagine. I can't even pick. I didn't know there was a job like that. <laughs> <laughs> knock on the door of a stranger and get in their house and sit down looking at, at what we call in the business underground furniture. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Never heard that either. So uh, I did that job. for a little, yeah, you know, I can do anything now. I, I believe it. I believe it. There's a little technique. <laughs> There's a technique uh, where you have to, you know, knock on a stranger's door and you drive up and then you wave at the front of the house, even though you don't see anybody, just in case they're peeking out to see who you are. That's and then they think that, that you know that they're there. Right. Oh, well, that's really good. 
Really? Well, anyway, I did that for a little while. And then I ran into a buddy um, who um, was with some of his farmer buddies um, had harvested native pecans mm. from this area. They're not the big hybrid kind. They're the little native ones that you might only buy on the roadside. Yes. Correct. Mm-hmm. And then you have to pick them out, you know, and they decided they wanted to have them shelled and actually sell them from their store. And so I ran into Drew and Drew said, what, and he, of course, he knew what was going on. This small town in Nevada, Missouri, 8,000 people. And, and he said, uh, what are you doing? And I said, Drew, I have no idea. And this is after I'm like on my knees, not literally in the McDonald's parking lot going, God, mm. I can't do this anymore. <sighs> and this stillness just came over me. And I just put the car in gear. I started driving like a robot pulled into the Woods grocery store parking lot, put it in gear, started walking toward the door. And I mean, there came Drew. And he said, what are you doing these days? And I said, I have no idea. And he said, well, come with me. So he showed me where they had created this quote unquote pecan cleaning facility. It's just where they take the pecans that they get up off the ground and clean the trash out of them. Mm-hmm. Then all those pecans, like a million pounds, were up in the caves um, in Kansas City where we have huge freezer storage facilities underground. Yeah. And um, he thought they were thought they were going to get those cracked and sell them all out of the front of their store on 71 Highway. And I'm like. I don't think so. So <laughs> I found them a grant to. um Figure it out. Yeah. And yeah. got them $75,000 to pay me to figure it out. I didn't even begin to get all that $75,000. I don't know where it all went. But anyway, I got a, a little tiny bit of it. And I wow. um, just started asking people. This is part of the God story. So Absolutely. I feel like I can freely talk about this. You, yes. Some places. I have to be careful how I say Not it. here. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um I don't want to turn anybody off either, though, because I've been totally turned off by this certain is people. Your story. Well. It's it's your story. You know what I mean? Nobody <laughs> can argue with somebody else's story. I totally get it, and I um, yeah. and and we have all found ourselves in places where we reach. We, I hope um, where we've reached the bottom of what we can do. We have to reach out and call for to a higher source for help. I love this story. Keep going. Okay, yeah. so um, I and I found the grant for them and. Drew didn't, he kind of like put the brakes on me a little bit. And I think he was just afraid that I was going to outshine him in some Mm. silly little way. But anyway, I got them the grant and then I just threw myself into figuring out how we were going to, and I got them branded, packaged, and I interviewed produce department people and figured out the price point it needed to be. And Drew said that would work. And I got him into 300 supermarkets around the Midwest Oh my goodness! in about four months. And so I thought, you know what, maybe, maybe it wasn't all my ex-husband. Maybe I have a brain in my head too. You so, think? Um, wow. <laughs> well, you know, either that, or I just know how to, you know, keep calling people back and badgering them. But uh, anyway, I ended up then from that getting a job at a food processing company in Kansas city. By the time I was 54, I was remarried to a poet an incredible writer and a literary journal editor of more than 40 years of a very well-known literary journal. So we were married, but I still had completely lost my identity. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I could do a lot of stuff, but, and, and. Were you a writer at that time? I'm sorry. Were you writing before that? 
Uh, yeah, I you was a radio that. news director um, in my first, first job. And then all of the writing, um, I, I am self-taught, but, you know, I read a lot of books and that's what they do, you know, in the classes. So, so I wrote a lot, lot, lot um, throughout the saddle company mm-hmm. uh, and then um, creatively some poetry writing and so forth. But so memoir, this was my first memoir. Yeah, okay. I didn't go to school for that. That's correct. Yes, that is correct. Um, so yeah. anyway, uh, I just, you know, I just admitted to him, I really need to take this trip by myself that I always dreamed about. And this, I was about 54 years, I was 54 years old yeah. when I did that. So um, he was a little concerned that I would like not want to come home or not be impressed with him and being <laughs> home anymore. It's after a big this. world out there, Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, honey, you have no idea. This is not going to be fun. Right. This, I'm telling you, this is an riding cross country by yourself. And of course, I didn't have any crew. I don't, I don't diss people who want to take a big crew. It's probably very responsible on their part. But I didn't want find my phone on my, find my friend on my phone. I didn't want people exactly. I'm happy for them to know where I was, but it, it wasn't that wasn't part of the journey. And so he said, you got to do this now, you know, and then my pastor of my church, who was also my therapist, she's also a licensed family and uh, marriage counselor. I had seen her off and on for five years. And she's like, you just tell people, just tell people the horse will appear. And that's exactly what happened. Great advice. Oh, wow. Wow. That takes so much courage, Lisa. And yet, uh, no, I shouldn't say, and yet that takes so much courage, but the adventure, the call is for those who have that strong urge to experience something like that. I mean, you, you're really stimulating this, uh, this adventure spirit in me right now saying, good, why not? I mean, it's one life, yeah. <laughs> go live it. And this, <laughs> if you're being called, say yes. Oh, that's beautiful. Keep going. Well, uh, yeah. And I think, um, I think that if there's anything that we're born with, I don't want to get to the 56,000 foot view here, but I mean, I think anything that you have really wanted to do ever since you were young, there's probably a reason for it, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's just, and so there I sat at 54 thinking, I'm going to do this. And I will say that every time I had a tragedy, I I mean, I lost a, a baby. It's stillborn, nine pound, 10 ounce baby when uh, I was 29 or so. Um, my husband had this head injury. I lost my business, my home, my church, my friends, you know, just, it just all, you know, and then I was scared to death. I was going to make enough money to support my children. I didn't choose to marry an extremely wealthy person. So, you know, there was a, every time there was a big, um, upheaval in my mind, I just saw myself riding down a gravel road, walking on a horse on a gravel road. And then, of course, I would always say what we say. Oh, well, I, can, I could never do that. You know, right, right. That's, that the first, that's the first voice that comes in your, your head. I don't have the money for that, you know. <laughs> but it just so happened that I had been taught. I, I had these um, prosperity classes that I went to at my church. And this particular pastor led them. She's a genius at small group dynamics. And, um, so I've been kind of talking about it for a couple of years and, and then it just, I think that momentum support, even though it was just sort of mental more than anything else helped me make that decision. So I called a good buddy of mine 
from uh, Southern Missouri who worked for us at the saddle company, best salesman, great saddle maker. And I said, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do this a mm-hmm. ride through Kansas and Missouri. I don't know how far I'm going to go, but I'm going to be gone at least a month if, if everything goes okay. And he didn't say, oh, there are a lot of crazies out there. Oh, you know, you are you going to take somebody with you? Nothing like that. All he said was, Lisa, I got a horse you can take. You know, wow. it was just one phone call. Your pastor was right. <laughs> yeah. She nailed it. Well, somebody else offered me their horse, but it got too complicated with that person. <laughs> yes. So oh. I decided you just need to buy the horse for a trip like this. Don't right, don't right. just borrow one. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. But, so, yeah, that's it. How did Go you ahead. choose the, the route on your first and second journeys? Uh, that's just a, a, the first thing that came, one of the first things that came to my mind after I heard you say you were going to do it <laughs> and you did it. How, how did you choose those routes? That's fascinating. I love that question because it's instructive to anybody who wants to take a trip like this. Yeah. We, Lynn and I planned our route and we even drove it um, to Smart. begin with. Most of it. And we had topographical maps and we had hundreds of pounds of junk that we thought we were going to need and all this. And within like the first week, we completely changed our plan because guess what? You're going four miles an hour at the fastest, especially with pack horses. And if it wasn't an endurance ride, no, where you're trotting the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, right. Or going 60 miles an hour. Oh, let's look, you know, the hotel over here. Right, Right, right. So if you're going that slowly and somebody tells you, oh, you need to go stay with our buddy over here, or no, you don't want to take that road. You need to take this road. Mm -hmm. You're already off your route. And I guarantee you, you are not going to ride five miles out of your way to get back on your precious little route. (laughs) So, you know, that's why I didn't plan my route at all on the second trip from that experience that we just trusted people every step along the way to look at what we had planned and give us advice about how to maybe do it differently or better. So for this trip, I just took off from Chief's Pasture and I wanted to ride generally a loop around Missouri. So I started in Kansas, ride through Kansas, then go around a loop around Missouri. And it was, so I I didn't have anything planned at all. And I didn't want to be like one person uh, who consulted with me who wouldn't listen to me, (laughs) which is often (laughs) the case with horse people. Um, She... She did not feel comfortable knocking on strangers' doors, and I I know people are hundred almost one hundred percent fabulously good, so that doesn't bother me. And also, I get, I get a feeling and intuition, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So um, I just kind of started writing, and then what weird thing happened was, and I knew better than this, but. All along western Missouri, there are lakes. So there's Truman Lake, there's Stockton Lake, and further into the state, there's Lake of the Ozarks and then on down. And so it was forcing me to go straight south instead of looping eastward into Missouri. And right. looping eastward into Missouri, what when they create a lake, you know, they're, before they do a lake, all you've got are all these little bitty creeks and rivers going wherever they're going to go, right? But then they dam it. And then all of those tributaries get big. Mm. And then the only way to kind of get through is to go on the highway. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so there aren't all these little teeny tiny bridges anymore where you can get through. So, so in order for me to get, just keep riding East, 
I would have had to be on some long bridge, four lane bridge, which I didn't like the idea. (laughs) No bueno. (laughs) Yeah, no bueno. So um, I ended up riding straight south. Well, where did that take me? That took me straight south to where I went to high school to where I left my first husband and shamed myself and had tremendous guilt and angst. And, uh, and, and I'm riding instead of like zipping through at 70 miles an hour going, ah, hello, right, you know, right. I'm like riding through this country at three and a half miles an hour. <laughs> and, uh, you know what? Those people remember me from back then. They knew my ex and, and all that. And, they didn't care. No. They just were happy to see me. I bet it was cool you know? seeing you on horseback doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. So we had the very first husband, which was the childhood sweetheart. I just, I, I'm not comfortable telling all this, but I'm, I'm among friends. Yes, you are. Uh, yeah. And so that was scary. And then I had to ride back through Nevada, which is where Lynn and I had our saddle business. And I wasn't worried about that so much. Those were old friends and they understood the situation and so forth. So I ended up riding and right through all that past. And it was like, I was, um, there was a term I used for it in the book and now it's escaping me, but I, I kind of overrode, you know, the term overwrite something on the computer. Yes. I overrode my past. So I got to get that healing of being accepted by the very people I thought would be still in judgment of me. Lisa, this takes courage on so many levels, what you're sharing, and, and people need to hear it. I think of uh, Emerson, who said, do something you're afraid to do every day. And my goodness, you, you did it. Unbelievable. You yeah. wrote into Mordor. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> or at least right. what, it, what appeared to be. It, that's... Somebody said the other day that, where did I just hear this? It might have been on a podcast interview that I did. Oh, yeah. Where are those dragons? Those things we're afraid of are there to teach us. And um, the fears that we have, they're there to teach us. And you, how many of us miss the opportunity to learn the greatest lesson on our, quote, hero's journey that Joseph Campbell talks about? You were on a, a literal <laughs> hero's journey. And I hope this inspires people. I'm sure it will. Um, Man, I'm blown away. So anything scary happen on these trips? Um, I Besides think the this... horse falling head over heels over end over end? <laughs> yeah, that was on the first trip. There was really nothing all that scary. Well, you know, I actually had some trouble with anxiety and depression on the very first trip. But, you know, I really couldn't stop. I couldn't yeah. do anything about it. So I kind of rode through that. Um, but on this trip, really just... Um, you know, anybody who's in, into horses probably get, and into them very far gets that you really don't need to be worried about people. You just need to worry about your horse bolting in front of a car. Mm. I mean, it's the cars that are the dangerous thing on a trip yeah. like this. Now, before the trip, I will say that I, you know, <clears throat> I took a half a Benadryl every morning or every night to go to sleep because yes. I did worry a little bit about something happening to me at the hands of somebody. But I also had the previous experience knowing how very unlikely that was. And so that was really the least of my concerns. I think the one time that I was um, a a little bit scared person-wise happened um, when, and I wish I could preface this by telling something else, but I, I will get to that in just a second. But anyway, a guy came toward me in a pickup. And I was to the point in my complete immersion in nature 
complete dependence on nature, complete, um, I hate to use the word oneness, but, uh, you know, you become um, uh, of the same stuff when you're physically moving and, and you get, you know, beyond the point of exhaustion every single day. Yeah. Um, so I knew if it was okay to knock on that door. And I knew that, you know, in the first, I'm going to preface this story of what scared me with, with this, this little sure. spiel I have, you know, week one, the wind and the um, constant movement being on high alert because my horse was on high alert and he's a, a bit of a jumpy guy. Um, I became a little bit nonverbal. I really became the chatter, the verb, verbal stuff going on in the brain was gone after the first week. I talked to people at night. I talked to people if they stopped, but, but my essence was nonverbal like the horse. How far, in did that be, how far into your journey did that begin? One week. One week. That's after when it, one af, week. after the week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Man. By, by the end of one week, by the end of week two, I happened to just notice by accident that I was just doing things and they would be the right thing to do. Wow. So, I would turn, I would realize I just turned there or I had just knocked on that door or I had just made this phone call or whatever. And it was always the exact perfect thing to do. Mm. So I didn't plan anything. I became nonverbal. I just started doing things and I gradually became aware that, um, you know, I don't want to call it guidance because then we got something up here happening and something from out there happening. Right, right, right. It's like a, 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 the duality that I really, it's not, duality is not how it felt. Right. Um, and then by the end of the third week, uh, I had this experience where I was riding past a cemetery and it was, if you can imagine, Memorial Day. I didn't even realize it was oh, Memorial Day. Cool. Covered with flowers. Of course, a country cemetery. And I started to cry. And I am crying for this stillborn baby that I really had never cried that much for. And it was, it was just like this incredible protective force just diffused me with a sense of care and protection. And again, I'm, I'm motioning with my hands like this. I don't really mean that. It was like every blade of grass, leaf, gravel, everything in the, in the fields, it was all the same stuff. And it was inside me. And I just cried and cried, cried, you know, but it was like, I say, uh, I'm a good old Lutheran, German Lutheran girl, you know, we don't cry, we clean house, you know? (laughs) And so her home companions pretty much got it right. Right. (laughs) That's not the only church I've ever been to, mind you, but anyway, you know, that was how I was raised. And so it was like, I call it clear cry, not like a strangled where your face looks like a monster. And mm-hmm. you're just, <laughs> you know, it's like, you just, it's just a great cry. <laughs> and so anyway, that's, um, that was what happened at the end of the third week. And you know how, when you know something, you kind of can't unknow it yes. as far as this yes. being suffused with this. And so that that's what happened. And so for that reason, when this particular black little Chevy love pickup, a quarter of a mile away, I knew that was not a good situation for Lisa coming toward me. Wow. Yes. Yeah. You intuited that. Yeah. I felt it. 
You I felt that. And, and, and I don't know, you know. Oh, and you hadn't felt that before. That was on this trip. That was really the first time. Well, yeah, I don't know. I probably, I probably was headed that direction pretty good by that time. But having that um, exertion in nature and that stillness for so long really Mm. magnified that understanding. So it's almost like I could see a black aura around it. I actually could kind of see a black aura around my former husband when, when he, after his head injury, when he was in getting into a dark place himself, yes, yes. bless his heart, um, which he came out of. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. didn't, he wasn't evil. It wasn't like that, but I mean, I could you just kind of feel that. that. Yeah. I recognized it. And so that's what it felt like. And this guy drives up and um, he just looks out his window at me and got that look in his eye. Like, I know you lady. And and I'm, he says, you're traveling. I was like, well, duh. Yeah. <laughs> My horse is like standing here. I was letting chief take a nap and I was making notes. So I was just standing in the ditch. Yeah. He says, well, I'm, I live right up the road. If you want to get, you know, something to eat or drink or something like that. And it, it might've worked out fine, but I just definitely didn't feel it. And so he says, well, I'm combining up here. Just let me know if you need anything. So I got on my horse and, and he did his business, came back, got in the combine. And I'm thinking, oh, dear God, please let the combine be going that way in the far end of the field <laughs> when we ride by at three and a half miles an hour. Well, no, his combine is like coming, coming, we're riding, coming, coming. Facing each other. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we got perfectly there. And he stopped and um, crawled over the fence and came over. And so I talk about stupid. With everybody I met, I pulled up my map and said, here's where I'm going. Does that look good to you? You know, I did that. You know, so like, <laughs> then he knows where I'm going to ride. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> you were trusting. <laughs> <laughs> well, when he walked up to me, look at my map, he laid his arm on my thigh. Oh, there you go. You knew. Nobody has ev- had ever touched me. Warning, even come warning. close to touching me. So I just sit there and I count to 10 and then I give chief a little uh, spur in his right side and he steps over and I said, Hey, I got to go. My husband's coming to meet me soon. (laughs) Of course he wasn't (laughs) anyway. So that was how that ended up. And I just kind of kicked him up to a flat foot walk. He went back to his combines, continued combining. And then I took the next road. Well, it's all open wheat fields. Like I can't hide anywhere. And, um, but I did kind of get over a, a, over a um, rise and stop chief nothing to tie him to, but anyway, he was, he was ready to eat. And I dug my son's Ruger 38 handgun out of the bottom of the saddlebag where it ended up because I didn't need it. I just took it because Derek wanted me to. And I did chamber a load and I put it in the pommel of my front pommel of my bag, left it unzipped. Hey friends, Brett here to tell you that today's show is made possible by the Rocky Mountain Channel in Estes Park, Colorado. It's one of our favorite places to get your nature fix where you can explore the real Rockies. From award-winning documentaries to music in the mountains to a fun and adventurous podcast hosted by yours truly. This is Adventure with a Conscience. We think you're going to love it. Be sure to check it out and subscribe for free at RockyMountainChannel.com. And now, back to our show. And I did chamber a load and I put it in the front pommel of my bag, left it unzipped and went about my way. And he never came back. I could see the the dust rising from where he was combining and I just carried on and all was well. And then I had to call my son to uh, 
ask him how to unchamber the load without firing him. <laughs> I mean, people shouldn't have guns if they don't really know a lot no. about guns. Yeah, I'm just yeah, saying true. in the state of Kansas, when I got my concealed carry license um, for this trip, because Derek yes. in- insisted I take a firearm with me. Um, and I did practice a lot with him and so forth, but I had to take a test. I had to do all mm. of that. And then it wasn't long after that Kansas eliminated all need for any licensure. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's good. So, so um, but you still had to call him and ask him how to. Un- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Bless his heart. And also one other time um, my tent got flooded. It, it. I rode during the worst drought, not in history, but one of the worst droughts in history during that. It was that hot that Ooh. summer. Yeah. And I happened to have three rainstorms that happened. And one of them, I put my tent in the lee of a big hay barn right under where all the rain from this giant hay barn came down on top of my Oh, my God. <laughs> you picked the perfect so I'm spot. Like, <laughs> I'm hiding inside the hay barn, oh. scared to death of a tornado. And, and so his gun rusted. I had to call him oh. and say, oh, Derek, I am so sorry. Your gun already rusted. And he says, Mom, that's why you oil them. Oh, so yeah. I said, I hope my olive oil will work. He says, that'll be fine. <laughs> wow. You are, it was like the pioneers and they had to worry about that too. Yes. Oh. I mean, it is, if you don't have a crew and you take everything on your horse, yeah, I didn't yeah. want to have a pack horse because I didn't want to have to control the horse with one hand and have another hand busy just right. in case, you know, we get in traffic and I mean, yes, I'll get killed, but the really stupid thing would be to kill somebody else that way, right? So I just wanted everything on my horse. Plus, when you have pack horses, it's like having three 18-month-old kids you got to take care of. Right. Yeah, that's true. And it's, yeah, it's just... By yourself. I can't imagine. So it just meant that I ate um, very sparsely, and it was a concern if I didn't, thought I might not find a good place to camp that night, just being scared I wouldn't find water easy to get to for him. And that's why I rode through Kansas and Missouri because it was populated enough. I knew that I could stop and get water for him frequently enough. So were there any points on this journey that you said, what am I doing? I should turn around or come get me. Uh, Did you ever question that? Yeah. When I, I mean, when I did end, I got to that point. Um, I turned back sooner than I intended to. So I ended up riding South. And mm-hmm. I rode south of Springfield, Missouri. Of course, you know, you've heard of Branson, Missouri, right? Right. <laughs> well, you know, all of those roads on my Atlas and Gazetteer. So some people may not be familiar with the Kansas, Missouri, other states, Atlas and Gazetteer. Hmm. But each piece of the map is this big. And so Missouri is cut into 51 portions or 52 So you take Missouri and cut it into 52 portions as big. That's what I used for my maps. And I would tear one out and it shows every gravel road and that's there. And that used to be there and every town that used to be there. So it's wonderful in that way. And so I'm following this map South of Springfield. I'm avoiding this, you know, town of 200,000 and the, the highways as much as I can. And all of the roads that were supposed to be gravel down there are chip sealed. So they're pavement. So you've got a road that's rated for about 35 miles an hour back in the 40s. And because it's paved, and then it's like hills like this and then switchbacks. So people drive on them like 50, 60 miles an hour. 
And I rode on that for a couple of days and I didn't know how long it would take me to ride out of that and into gravel. So at that point, I thought, well, it'll be a month that I'll be gone. I miss, you know, seeing Bob only once a week, my husband. So I turned back at that point. Mm -hmm. And then the day that I decided to have him, you know, instead of riding all the way back to my pasture, which was my intention, um, I was uh, two, about two days away from my pasture and I had to cross a big four lane highway. And so I was trying to figure out the safest way to, I wanted to cross it on an overpass. Well, they changed things. And so I stopped and I asked somebody, can I catch an overpass over 71 highway right there? And they said, no, you can't. But if you go back this way and go through, you can ride along 71 highway and you'll come to the, the next one. So I did that. Okay. Now, mind you, it's 96 degrees. It's humid for it. That wasn't very humid for Missouri, but it's humid for most people. Yeah. Um, I, I go through where they say I get on 71 highway. I'm walking, 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 leading him because I didn't hundred percent trust that something might not spook him in front of a truck or something. So I'm leading him. I'm thinking it's going to be two miles and I'm hot. And I think, oh my gosh, I'm almost to Archie. I'm almost to Archie. When I get to Archie, I'm going to tie this bastard up to a tree. I don't care how much (laughs) he disagrees with this. I'm going to get in there and get a chocolate malt, right? Uh. And I finally make it to the top of this. And I feel like I'm like in a Western. I'm in on my way to Mexico and the, you know, federal Rangers, you know, after me. And I'm just (laughs) barely making it up to the top of this overpass. And I look over and there is not. Archie, there's no town there. It's just wilderness. I mean, just open. It's just, it's not Archie. It's it's some other place, and I'm completely confused. I am so overheated. I wasn't even sure what direction uh, direction I was going. So I ride down to this place where some workers are fixing up what looks like maybe a um, insurance office or something. Kind of an old west looking little building. And I tie up there and I go in and I said, can I just take my saddle off here and just get in your shade for a minute? And so he said, of course you can. And then I figured out what I did. I walked the wrong direction. When I got onto 71 highway, I walked two miles the wrong direction because I was so overheated. Wow. Yeah. You don't, the brain doesn't work so well (laughs) under heat. (laughs) Yeah. So I called my husband and I said, what are you doing? And he says, oh, I'm reading some manuscripts here. And I said, I need you to go get a trailer and come and get me. Mm-hmm. And he said, I heard his chair creak. creak. Uh-huh. <laughs> I could just picture all the manuscripts on his desk. Oh, yeah. And he says, uh, um, are you sure? Are you sure you want to? And um, I said, absolutely. I've, I've just, we've got to stop. I'm just too hot. And I, and the worst thing about the whole trip was asking people to stay. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I just, on top of being so hot, I just couldn't make myself ask one more time. So he, of course, I no longer had, you know, cab over truck and huge horse trailers and all the paraphernalia that we had with Orthoflex Saddle Company. I had to send my poet to go rent a horse trailer, a stock trailer, you know, and he, fortunately, he's a poet who drives a pickup. So that that worked out. But anyway, um, so that's, that's why I ended. I just, I just had enough. And I said to him, I said, I don't know 
if I'm on the north or the south side of 71 Highway? And he says, honey, it goes north and south. <laughs> okay. So, you, you did, yeah. Did you mean way up at the top or way down at the bottom of the, <laughs> right. of the states? <laughs> yeah. So that that's, that was what ended it, and funny. that was perfectly satisfactory to me. I really didn't oh, tell anybody goodness. I was going because I was afraid. Well, what if what if I had only lasted two days? You know, and I right. Yeah. Yeah. And on day two, which you probably may have heard, on day two I did have a. Uh, a, a separation event with my horse mm. and I ended up getting my first stitches of my life. Oh, a separation event. I got you. You know, I've never heard <laughs> it put that way. I should have known what that meant. <laughs> oh, well he divorced me. Yes. And, um, not, but no, yeah. really, I, it was, it was like that old adage, just don't ever get off. Don't get off. Some people say, yeah, you, you got to learn how to do an emergency dismount. Yeah, uh, yes. But, yeah. um, I was trying to get him used to a, an animal with horns right then and there. And the, 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 the animal rushed the fence and shook its horns at chief. And, oh. and he decided to go right as I was getting off. And, right. and it, I, like I say, it's like trying to dismount off the sh- space shuttle. Right? So, <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> it was so you did get stitches. It worked out. <laughs> yeah. I did get yeah. stitches. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So. so that was scary too. I, in your book, uh, I love, there was a, there was a, section at the beginning here that I read it's you talked about the five kinds of herbs your horse snatched and chewed and I thought it sounds like you were pretty mindful I mean you already described that mindfulness and present with the world around you did that change your whole view and relationship with nature you know for the rest of your life how do you look at things differently now with nature um I think that because of the first trip and having been raised a lot of my life in the country mm-hmm. I have always felt that there is tremendous connection with uh the creator yes. that's kind of hard to obtain other than being out in nature i i think it's really interesting that emdr which you may be familiar with yes um was kind of discovered by someone walking through nature the <laughs> bilateral know? movement a bilateral of the eyes which you would do if you were hunting or if you were just you know living in nature yes. so um but i i do think that that connection with that being suffused with um creation in nature the way i felt that at that time i think that trumps absolutely every little thing that we get mucking around in in our mental world in our political world it just trumps everything wow beautiful well said um that that um affirmation i think we need reminders all the time i need reminders here i do a, a show called mountain zen den connecting with nature for mindfulness and personal growth you can't really i wish there was a way maybe i'll figure out a way to interview record and write and, and work you know produce the podcast out in the woods somewhere <laughs> at this mm-hmm. point I, i'm in this studio a lot of the time talking about it and so I, my my heart races a little faster when I'm talking to people like you. Your your story, your journey is like, all right, Melissa, we're going right. <laughs> I'm ready to just leave. Let's let's go. And uh, and I mean, that's what I'm. You shared so much that I know our listeners will be blessed by and inspired by. Folks, life is short. There's if there's a call. I mean, we each have a call. I believe. And if there is a call in your heart, don't ignore it. Do something you're afraid to do. Don't be foolhardy necessarily, right? Would you say mm-hmm. do the planning and pre- preparing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, 
adventure awaits you and it might not look like what you expected it to. And not only for you, it, you did this twice. What's mm-hmm. anything in, in Lisa's future? Uh, I don't know about that kind of thing. Tell, tell us what's what. The- I uh, would love to take another trip when I am 70. That might happen. That might not happen. I mean, it's really not fun sleeping on the ground. I will admit that. But that is something that I have in the back of my mind that I would like to do. And I'd also like to write about my first horseback trip is just fraught because I have a lot of kind of guilt and angst and so forth. And then I'm also going to be writing about somebody else who is living who might not see things the way I saw them. But I really think I'm to the point where I can talk about an adventure. Writing a book is just a totally different every bit as much of an adventure. So, you know, I, um, I think I just have to tell the truth and tell, tell it like nobody's ever going to read it, which is what Alexandra Fuller once said to me, a wonderful memoirist whom I love and, um, and do it lovingly, mm-hmm. then just see how it comes out, see how oh, it might nice. bless him and me and, and everybody involved. Wow. Beautiful. And, and you're connecting that potential journey when you're 70 with that writing. Is it, did I catch that correctly? Well, I did run them together, but no, not really. (laughs) One is writing the book. One is possibly taking another trip. I want to stay in good enough physical condition, you know, that I can do it when I'm 70. That's what I'm working on right now. Yeah. I wish people could see. And and later on when we have this released in video, they will be able to. But you look very young. When you said 50, you did it when you're 54. I was like, yesterday? (laughs) You know, (laughs) you're you're in good shape. You obviously take good care of yourself. And that's a high priority Mm -hmm. for you as well. Uh, yes, yes, it is. I will get to get Medicare um, in January. <laughs> so I'll be 65 <laughs> okay. in January. Wow, you do so, not look um, 65. Oh, That's good. Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. That's why I'm that now. <laughs> I remember my grandparents when they were my age, were really old. That's another thing that I, I hope people understand in personal growth. This is about personal growth, too, is don't look at the people around you that are your age that expect you to look a certain way. And this is a good little lesson here, too. I love that you're you know, okay, I'm going to be getting Medicare. I'm, you know, I'm retirement age, whatever that means. And so you're saying when I'm 70, I plan on just continuing to live till I don't. It sounds like, correct? Yes, that's exactly right. And I just discovered a personal trainer and she's so reasonable, 30 minutes on Zoom every other week. And she's watches my app, you know, so I have accountability. Good for you. And she's really good in that she doesn't overwork you so that you Mm -hmm. dread it. And, yeah. and so now after uh, seven months, I'm, I'm really into it. I think this is something I can keep up. I, I think I need to tell her to charge more so she doesn't quit doing it. <laughs> I said, you got to be here when I'm 80. Yes. We're yeah. sticking together. That's amazing. And, well, these endurance rides that Lisa has gone on, they're a most or a good chunk of them. And it's women. First of all, a good chunk of the riders are women. And also they're in their 60s, 70s, even 80 years old. So that's a good group to hang out with too. It <laughs> is. That that's right. Keeps you young. Wow. That's, that's inspiring, Lisa. Beautiful. Well, Beautiful. thank you. You're a writer. What are you reading these days? Is there anything in particular that inspires you? I want to mention a book that my friend gave me called, uh, running with Sherman, mm-hmm. running with Sherman. Um, and the reason I, I advise people to think about reading it is that he talks in there about what people get from from animals not just horses but all animals and there's some research involved he's a great journalist and i think i have it right here actually awesome. yeah oh, okay sherman is a, is a donkey 
Sherman's the Donkey or Burrow, whatever you want to call Burrow, him, yes. written by Christopher McDougall, who wrote Born to Run, the big bestseller about ultra marathoning. And yes. we were talking about being in nature and how that connects you with, I would say, maybe creation. And that if you're near a horse, you're talking about an electromagnet, their heart this big. Wow, right. Like bigger and than you, basketball is how you're holding your hands out for people. Yeah, see. right. Yeah. And, you know, that has a profound uh, physical effect on us. Yeah. And that horse relates to its entire world through its body. And, and so I related to the world through my body as well. And that's what happens to us. We kind of become nonverbal. We kind of zone out a little bit. We kind of get that soft eyes and we're around an animal. So I think that's just as important as being in nature and could take the place of nature if having a cat on your lap while you're editing and stuff, you know, <laughs> yes, might yes, be I, the thing to do. But right. I, I'm reading, I finished reading Running with Sherman. I um, love it. Um, and I'm reading um, books about how to raise a toddler because I'm babysitting my 14-month-old grandson. Oh, that's good. Uh, so, I, and yeah. I, I can't think, I read all the time. I'm trying to think what no, else. That's to advise, but that's perfect. Speaking of reading, tell us a little bit more about the big quiet. I love, I just have to say when I first came across the title, that was so captivating to me. In fact, there was a blurb by somebody that said, this compelling meditation reminds us that every step fall and missed road leads the rider home. That's again, the, the hero's journey. That's what I loved about that. They captured that obviously. They why did. did. What, why a, did mm, what a gift. Why did you name it The Big Quiet? And tell us a little more about the book. The Big Quiet represents, um, I think, I almost called it the big circle when cowboys have to ride around this enormous thousands and thousands acres of pasture to gather cattle. Um, I thought of the big circle. And then I love the idea of the big quiet because that is, you become still when you ride long enough by yourself. It's a lot different from trail riding with someone and you're yelling back and forth at each other and you don't even see the birds or the leaves or anything. I also like to do that. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not criticizing it, but yeah. um, the big quiet is something that can happen. That stillness, that meditation that can happen when we take a horseback trip all by ourselves like that. The other thing is I thought I stole it, stole it from Cucullin O'Reilly. Cucullin O'Reilly. I wish you could interview him. Maybe you can someday. <clears throat> He is the founder of the Long Riders Guild, mm. and it is based in France. Uh, he was in England, I believe, but he's an expat, U.S. expat. And he um, created this incredible website and organization that documents every 1,000-mile-plus trail ride anybody's taken over the entire world. Huh. And people who are riding... From the tip of Argentina up to the, the Alaska, people who are riding across China, people who are all over the United States and the world riding long distance. If they've gone more than a thousand miles and it's documented and they didn't just couch surf the whole way, right. then they become automatic members. And then he has a collection of all of the books that have been written by people who have done these things. And I thought I was stealing the big quiet from Cucullin. And I felt a little guilty about it, and I don't tell him. And it the term was the long quiet. Long quiet. Wow. You are so opening my his, world here. I've never heard of Cucullin before. Yeah, I highly recommend. And then his 
our uh, saddle fitting information, I have my treatise on saddle fit on his website. So okay. if you were to look up uh, saddling for the 21st century, uh, Lisa Stewart, you'd probably end up at his website. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. I'll put that link yeah. in the show notes too, so that people can. Oh, find that'd it. be great. That's yeah. So cool. So you named it the big quiet, thinking maybe <laughs> the long quiet. But wait, yeah, why the that? big quiet came to me, and I just thought, oh, that's it. That says it. It's beautiful. It, it creates just a short title. The big quiet creates this sense of stillness too, and, and it sounds like that. That's what happened to you. You said after the first week. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Where can people find that? Well, my book is for sale on Amazon. Uh, is that what you mean? Yes. Uh, yeah, on Amazon and in any bookstore you normally would order from. And you can order from my website as well, although I'm rebuilding my website right now. So Amazon's probably the best Amazon's way to go. It doesn't place. matter to me. I was published by the most wonderful publisher in Kansas, Meadowlark Press. And uh, Tracy Million Simmons is the publisher. Mm -hmm. I was sent to her by the editor at Kansas University Press, who really didn't have the right category of book to fit my book into. She really yes. liked it. But she said, why don't you check out Tracy's publishing company? And she publishes wonderful titles by Kansas authors or about Kansas topics. Okay. And oh, she's in Emporia, cool. Kansas. So she was a wonderful publisher for me. And um, there's a reason for me mentioning her. But at any rate, that's... Um, that's where I found a place, a good home for me. Yes. Oh, that's great. Again, the universe leading through you right where you're supposed to be, God's hand. Right. I think that's beautiful. Do you have a, a meditation practice that you do? You know, I used to do Qigong um, every morning uh, faithfully. And I have to say that I don't have a specific prayer method, but when I exercise or do my long walks every day, that's my time to kind of reconnect and and um, get really still. I've I've studied a lot of different things. I've um, I'm actually been trained as a Christian Science practitioner. I I I'm not a card carrying member, and I do take my kids to doctors, <laughs> so yes. I don't want anybody. And people who don't, I mean, that's kind of such an old religion now that mm -hmm. people think of it as Scientology. That's sure. that's not what it is. But I do. Um, do try to get centered every moment that I can to just feel uh, life, truth, and love, or that presence with I a sense, capital P. Absolutely. I sense that in you. I ask, you know, I, I, I like to ask this question often. I think I do it every time, but maybe not, uh, to everybody that we speak to at Mountain Zen, and just to find out all the different types of practices. And I'm always encouraged by the answers that aren't necessarily, yes, I, I sit for, you know, 30 minutes and I, do my mudras pose and you know with the lotus pose with my fingers in mudras. I had interviewed Peter Mayer a few weeks ago, and that he said that he was kind of at one point what you would call a traditional meditation practice. And he had a friend who told him that that didn't surprise him because Peter was a, a musician. That oh. musicians often don't the, the the practice the the practice of music is their meditation mm -hmm. and i can see what you're talking about what you're doing it's being mindful i think we can really get lost in thinking that we're meditating when we're just counting our breath <laughs> versus mm -hmm. being <laughs> being so i i wanted to affirm what you just said and say uh, thank you for sharing that because a lot of people who really struggle to get it right whatever that means i'm using air quotes right here in meditating might be let off the hook and, and realize that it's more about being present, being in prayer, 
and being connected with your creator, your maker, and being present to everything around you. So. Well, thank you for that affirmation. You know, and I think meditation is just like in that moment where I catch myself and don't, say, don't rephrase what I was going to say snotty to my husband. <laughs> In the yes. moment of rephrasing it, right. are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, how much more oh. a practice could that be? You know, he doesn't deserve that kind of baloney. So, <laughs> I, can beautiful. I tell you an in a, a meditative meditation experience I had? Please do. I don't share this very. I don't know when I've shared it, but anyway, I I was doing qigong and it would like take me. It was this flying phoenix pose. It was a standing meditation. So I would, I would. uh have uh, Jesus here, you know, just imagine that there's mm-hmm. Jesus was here and then they, whoever invented the flying Phoenix um, uh, lineage and then Mary Baker, Eddie over here. And I would yes. just, that, that that would be who I would be with. And I would go through this and we take 45 minutes. Well, I always did it in my basement and there's, you know, and it was dark down there and so forth. It was before daylight and so forth. Well, I had a chance for the first time in my life to go to um, Grand Cayman, to go to really any Bahamas, island. So I'm on the shore and every morning for the seven days I was there, I did my Qigong and I almost couldn't do it because like it's bright and there's wind and there's all this happening. And I was like, I don't, I just, I don't know if I can get there. So there were quite a few mornings that I really got that deep down feeling, um, that tremendously connected feeling. And then on the seventh morning, of course, the morning we're going to leave and going to get packed up. I'm out there. I'm like, I can't, I mean, I just, uh, hello, anybody there, you know, and, and all of a sudden something hit me in the back of the head. Now it was just like flipped my hair, you know, just kind of like, yes. like yeah, that. it wasn't uh-huh. a hit exactly, but it definitely made contact. And I just shrieked and I spun around and there was nobody there. So there was some vegetation behind me, but the wind was coming this way. So yes. nothing could have hit me unless somebody yes. threw it. It was coming toward, the wind was coming towards your face. And I just looked and looked. I looked for footprints. And I was just like somebody, whoever, was going, hello. Macking you upside the head lightly. (laughs) Just keep doing what you're doing. It was just a crazy experience I had. I'll never forget it. Oh, Lisa, that is so wild. I do believe there are moments when we are are not quite awake enough, and then there's something that happens, whatever it is, to just wake us up enough to be awake. Oh, I love that. That's a good story. (laughs) Is there anything else you'd like to share with us today? I just um, would love to just leave everybody with, you know, one of three points, all three points, three points being the world is safe. That's what we didn't really discuss. Yeah. But I believe, yeah, I believe that the world is safe. And I also, I've worked and volunteered in the inner city of Kansas City, where we have one of the highest homicide rates in the United States. So I'm not, I'm not just saying it's safe if you ride in rural Missouri and Kansas. I know I could ride my horse through those neighborhoods during the day. Now, I wouldn't go at two in the morning, Yes. nor would I ride out in the country at two in the morning. <laughs> you would get all the same help. So I believe from my personal experience that people are by and large very, very good. And if we would just turn off cable news for a couple of weeks and get out of our cars and ask for a little bit of assistance or meet somebody new, we would get all the help we need. And like I said earlier, then my second thing I'd love to leave people with is if there's something that you've wanted to do since you were very young, 
You should do it. There's probably a reason for it. And number three would be just that rural Americans are like city Americans. They just tend to have a little more land around them. They've got more space. Yes, yes. Oh, those are three wonderful thoughts, truths that needed to be shared and needed to be heard. I love the first one that you said because, again, we talked about the dragons are there to teach us sometimes and, and not to be afraid. The things in the world that are are screaming at us to be afraid might actually be just a, an opportunity to grow a little more and to, to accept courage to do something that you're afraid to do or to look at someone in a different way. I love that. Thank you so much for that. Well, you're welcome. Thank you so much for asking me all of your insightful questions and lifting me up and validating my thoughts as well. Well, we are going to want to, as a, as a result of this um, conversation, um, Melissa and I have talked about doing the Colorado Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail. I've done parts of the Appalachian Trail. And you take away all excuses. <laughs> well, you. if you do that, would you let me come out and look at your saddles and your horses? I would love that. We would be thrilled or come there and bring them too because we want to, you know, trailer the horse out. Melissa's going to freak serious. out. I'm can, serious. I can <laughs> save you a lot out. of heartache. Bless <laughs> your heart. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. We would do that. And would you come back, hopefully before you're 70 even, and talk about your, uh, your latest experiences and, and journeys? And then, oh, I certainly will. Thank you for the invitation. I, I've loved this. You're, you're a dear. Thank you so much. You too, kindred spirit. Thank you, Lisa. We'll be talking to you soon. Blessings. Thank right. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a fun and adventurous conversation with author Lisa Stewart. I hope you were as inspired and encouraged as I was to follow your dream, to listen for that call in your life to the bigger adventure out there. It takes courage, my friends, but it is well worth it. And Lisa is a modern example of what it could be. Thank you again, Lisa. Also, uh, be sure to check out her book, The Big Quiet. You can get it on Amazon or, as she mentioned, at her new website. And we've left links on our show notes here at Mountain Zenden. You can check it out there. Also for Cacullen O'Reilly and Saddling for the 21st Century. Check it out. If you enjoyed today's show and learned even one thing that could help you on your journey of growth through mindfulness and connection with nature... Would you share this podcast with someone else who you think would benefit from it? Also, it would help us immensely if you would take a few moments to rate and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What a blessing that would be. Thank you. Remember, life is a gift. Nature's a gift. And you are a gift back to the world. We'll see you back here next week. Take care, friends.